Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu an la إن الحمد لله إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا محمدا عبده ورسوله يقول الله جل وعلا في كتابه الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أعاذنا الله وإياكم منها أجمعين أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters it is 
related by Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu who said that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam went to sleep on a reed mat, a flat reed mat. Afterwards, he got up and the imprint of the reed mat can be seen on his blessed side. So we said, Ya Rasulullah, Messenger of Allah, if only we took a mattress for you, a thicker mattress. And the Prophet ﷺ responded, Mali dunya. What do I have to do with the world? I am in this world as nothing more than a rider who seeks shade under a tree and then departs leaving it behind. <clears throat> Dear brothers and sisters, one of the important etiquettes that we have towards the Prophet ﷺ is that we do not say he was faqir. We don't say he was poor as that suggests an imperfection or it suggests that he did so because of necessity and that it was not by choice. It's unbefitting as Imam al-Subki says, to call him faqir when he is the richest of all of spirit. Nevertheless, we see that the Prophet ﷺ had a very austere lifestyle compared to most people. But we have to understand that this lifestyle of the Prophet ﷺ was by choice. And he modeled an ideal of living that may look different in different times and in different places, but no matter what place or time, it represents a central ideal that we strive to live up to. And that central ideal is non-attachment to the world. Non-attachment to the lower world. To make use of the lower world without being used by the lower world. It is to possess the lower world, the dunya, in our hand, and to not be possessed by the lower world where it dwells in our heart. That is the central virtue and the central ideal that the Prophet ﷺ left us, no matter what our standard of living may be. One of the forgotten virtues of Islam is the virtue of contentment and non-attachment, and a careful and considered use of the world as a tool and not an end unto itself. This virtue is called zuhud, otherworldliness, non-attachment to the dunya. And this central virtue and ideal in our religion is the polar opposite of what we are surrounded by in the world today. Because in this world, no matter where you go, you are surrounded by crass consumerism. You're surrounded by crass consumerism. The collective substance abuse that we know, that we now partake in as human beings. Here we are used to seeing advertisements for Halloween show up in September. And then, after Halloween in the month of October, we get used to seeing advertisements for Thanksgiving, 
And then November rolls around and we get used to seeing advertisements for Christmas. And now we are in the month of December. Last week, we just experienced Black Friday. And as someone said, Black Friday for the consumerist is like Laylatul Qadr for the mu'min. That's the reality. We just experienced the Black Friday. Now we are in the month of December and we see the advertisements in full display everywhere we go. We see the advertisements in the stores, we hear them on the radio, we see them on TV, you hear the Christmas tunes wherever you go. Now, of course, we as Muslims, we don't partake of Christmas, we don't celebrate Christmas for religious reasons, but we are surrounded by its advertisements. I want to look at some statistics about the celebration of Christmas and all of its the consumerism surrounding it. Number one, according to the most recent data we've collected, that's been collected about Christmas, Americans spend on average $852 on Christmas gifts every year. The median price for a Christmas tree, a real one, not a plastic one, is $76. 22.5% of Americans end up with debt after their Christmas spending. And U.S. online holiday spending last year was $135 billion. And parents spend an average of $276 per child on Christmas gifts. 41% of Americans are willing to take on debt for Christmas shopping. And the estimated total of unwanted presents is $15 billion. It is said that 1 in 10 unwanted gifts end up in the landfill. And that the amount of wrapping paper used to wrap gifts on Christmas are enough to be wrapped around the world nine times. That's how much paper is used. And lastly, only 1% of the goods given on Christmas are even used one month later. These are just some of the statistics we see about Christmas. Now it's really easy for us to read these sobering statistics and get a sense of moral superiority as Muslims. It's easy to look at these stats and point out there and say, look at those people and their Christmas spending. But that, dear brothers and sisters, is not the correct attitude we should have, nor is it the proper approach we should take as Muslims. Allah tells us the stories of previous nations in the Qur'an who rejected their messengers. Allah tells us of the destruction of past nations, and that is not for us to simply satisfy our curiosity. They are cautionary tales. Cautionary tales meant to warn us about what happens if we let ourselves go and we don't heed the messages of our Lord. They are cautionary tales so that we do not take on their qualities. Imam al-Bukhari and Muslim both record from Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu who said that the Prophet sallallahu was one day sitting on the minbar and he said to his companions إِنَّ مِمَّا أَخَافُ عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا يُفْتَحُ عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ زَهْرَةِ الدُّنْيَا وَزِينَتِهَا He says, among the things I fear most for you 
After me is that the splendor and adornment of the world will open for you. He calls it the Zahratu dunya wazinatuha, the splendor and adornment of the lower world. Just as a blooming flower attracts your attention, the lower world, this material world, attracts us and distracts us. Dear brothers and sisters, in another narration, the Prophet ﷺ tells us, By Allah, poverty is not what I fear most for you. But rather, I fear that the dunya, the lower world, is opened for you, as it was opened for those before you. And you compete therein, just as they competed in the world. And you suffer ruin, just as they suffered ruin. So I highlight these statistics about Christmas spending, not to point the finger at the other, but to highlight that we can be just as consumerist as everyone else. Because the Prophet ﷺ told us that's his fear for us, being overly engrossed in the dunya. The dunya is the lower world. It comes from the Arabic word dun, which means lower or lesser. Dana yadinu. You say so-and-so is dani. They are low or base or haqir, loathsome and so on. And this is the base, dense, physical world. Al-alam al-kathif. The world that we enter into at the time of our birth and that we leave at the time of our death when we transition into the hereafter. Contrary to atheists and what materialists think, death is not a lights out moment where you lose consciousness and that's it, you're in the dark. Death is a transition from one world to another world. But we are in this world called the lower world. After which comes another world, that is Alam al-Barzakh, that intermediate realm before the Day of Judgment. So, we talk about dunya, the lower world, but in what sense are we speaking about this place? In Islam, the lower world that we are in is looked at from different perspectives. There is the perspective that looks at this world as an abode of delusion of temporary enjoyment, of distraction, of idle play, and of fading pleasures. Mata'ul ghurur, takathur, watafakhur, and so on, among the many Qur'anic terms used to describe this world. But there's also another perspective of this world. Another perspective of the dunya, as in the physical world, which looks at it as a tapestry, a tapestry of divine creation, showing the power and the beauty of Allah's creation. That is the aspect of the dunya that Allah speaks about in the Qur'an when He tells us to observe the ayat. When He tells you to observe the signs in creation and the signs within yourself, these are all signs in the dunya. But these are the signs that point to something greater they are pointing to the existence and the power and the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And these signs remind us of a higher abode, a higher place, a more permanent place, a more lasting place, the abode of Jannah, the abode of paradise, our true home. There is a hadith that is not actually a hadith. It is said to be a hadith, but it's not a hadith. And it is 
And a lot of people hear that growing up, and it's tied to nationalism. Love of one's homeland is from faith. It's not a hadith of the Prophet as the scholars say, but they say the meaning can be correct, because here it can mean your watan al asli, your original homeland. Loving your original homeland is from faith. What is our original homeland? Our original homeland is Jannah. So the signs of dunya remind us of the greater abode in the hereafter. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also instructs us in the Quran to make use of what's in this world. He says subhanahu wa ta'ala, قُلْ مَنْ حَرَّمَ زِينَةَ اللَّهِ الَّتِي أَخْرَجَ لِعِبَادِهِ وَالطَّيِّبَاتِ مِنَ الرِّزْقِ He says, say to them, who is it that forbids the adornment of Allah that He has brought forth for His servants and the fine provisions? <coughs> Likewise, it is from the sunnah of Al-Mustafa to dress well, to take care of yourself. It is from the sunnah of Al-Habib Al-A'zam to eat well and take care of yourself, take care of your health so that you can worship Allah and you can help other people and you can fulfill your purpose. As he says, Al-Mu'minul Qawi khayrun wa ahabbu ilallahi man al-mu'min al-da'if wa fi kullin khayr. The strong believer is better than the weak believer and more beloved, but in both of them there is good. Likewise, dear brothers and sisters, we have an understanding that there is something called beneficial wealth. And that is the wealth that gives us independence and freedom from begging others and humiliating ourselves. The wealth that gives us the ability to pay zakat, that pillar of Islam, to give sadaqah, to help the needy, to fund worthwhile projects that benefit humanity, to build masajid and institutions of learning, to create awqaf, endowments that endure for years and years and years benefiting humanity. All of those things require wealth. And so in that sense, the dunya is not cursed. That is the one side of the dunya, the one perspective that we take into consideration when we look at how we relate to this world. The dunya is not our enemy in that sense. It is our enemy when it pulls us away from our purpose of existence. It is our enemy when the dunya, this lower world, is loved solely for the benefit of the ego and for one's cravings and without it being a means of facilitating the path to Allah's pleasure. It is seeking the dunya, using the dunya without an intention of drawing near to Allah Ta'ala. It is using the world without having the intention of protecting oneself and others from needing to beg and to ask and to humiliate oneself. When it comes to the way Allah Ta'ala describes this world in the Qur'an, we see that it is focusing mostly on the first perspective. The perspective that looks at the world as an abode of delusion, an abode of mutual piling up and boasting and bragging and amassing things that distract us from our purpose. That is the primary way Allah addresses the believers when He describes the nature of this world. Dhamma dunya, dispraise of the lower world. 
In fact, were we to try to mention the verses of the Qur'an speaking about the reality of the dunya, we would have to recite the entire Qur'an from the beginning to the end. Because as Imam al-Ghazali and others mention, the majority of the Qur'an is speaking about the blameworthy nature of the dunya and calls humanity to the hereafter. That's the central theme of the Qur'an, reminding us that this is temporary and this is not forever. And don't fall for the trick of thinking that this is all there is and you're going to be here forever. That's the delusion. Imam al-Ghazali, he mentions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks so much about the nature of the lower world that we know it is an essential part of the da'wah of all of the prophets. All of the prophets and messengers also spoke about the nature of this world as a part of their da'wah to their people. Let's look at a couple of verses. In one verse, Allah Ta'ala gives us a parable, a method. He gives parables so that we can relate to higher level concepts using the world around us, things that we recognize among concrete things. And he mentions in the Quran, وَضْرِبْ لَهُمْ مَثَلَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا كَمَاءٍ أَنزَلْنَاهُ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ فَاخْتَلَطَ بِهِ نَبَاتُ الْأَرْضِ فَأَصْبَحَ هَشِيمًا تَذْرُوهُ الْرِيَاحِ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ مُقْتَدِرًا He says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and strike a similitude for them, for the life of this world. It's like water, which we send down from the sky, and, veget and the vegetation of the earth mingles with it. Then it becomes dry remnants, dry stalks, scattered by the winds. And Allah holds power over all things. This is how Allah describes the nature of the world, like water. To go a little deeper in reflecting on this verse, we should see what Imam al-Qurtubi says about this. The great Mufassir al-Imam al-Qurtubi says in his tafsir, that Allah likens this dunya to water for a variety of reasons. Number one, how is water and the lower world similar? He says, number one, water does not remain stable in any place, just as the dunya does not remain stable in any one place. The dunya comes and goes. If you've lived any time in this world, you recognize that by now. The world comes and goes. You make money, you lose money. Some things come and some things go. That's the reality. Just like water. The water comes and goes. It rains, there's puddles everywhere, and two days later, where did it all go? It all evaporated. That's the dunya as well. Number two, he says that water does not remain steady in any one state or condition. And just like this life, water doesn't remain steady, we're constantly in flux and change. Water is always in flux and change, likewise this dunya is always in flux and change. Everything's always changing. Number three, he says water does not remain, but instead it evaporates. Likewise, this dunya disappears, ultimately it leaves. It is said by one of the poets, إِنَّمَا dunya fana لَيْسَ dunya thubut. The life of this world is always fading, it's ephemeral. It's like the ocean in which there's fish and there's whales, there's big and large 
aquatic life, things come and go. Imam Al-Qurtubi goes on to say that no one is able to enter water without being tested. And likewise, no one who enters this worldly life is safe from the trials and tests therein. The idea is that if you're going to jump in the water, know that you have to know how to swim. And that if you're facing large waves and currents and tides rising and falling, you know that you're going to be tested. Your skills of swimming are going to be tested if you're in the water. Likewise, if you're in this world, you have to face the waves that come and go in this life and you're going to be tested. And lastly, he says, when there's a correct amount of water, then that amount of water becomes beneficial and life-giving. But when the water surpasses the proper level, it becomes harmful and destructive. <clears throat> Likewise with this dunya. A sufficient amount of this world is beneficial, while an excess amount of the dunya can bring harm. And we see here how Allah strikes this similitude. Comparing the life of this world to water, things are always changing, they're in flux, things come and go, you're going to be tested, and you need to make sure you have the right amount, because if you don't have the right amount, you're either dying of thirst or you're drowning. That's the same thing for this world, dear brothers and sisters. Allah Ta'ala describes this dunya as mata'a. فَمَا أُتِيتُمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَمَتَاعُ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَمَا عِنْدُ اللَّهِ خَيْرٌ وَأَبَقَى لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَلَىٰ رَبِّهِمْ يَتَوَكَّدُونَ Allah tells us that whatever you've been given, min shay'in, just a little bit, whatever you've been given of the dunya, it is mata'a, mata'ul hayat dunya It is a temporary enjoyment. It's something that comes and goes. So it's really easy for us to look at a consumerist society around us and point fingers and say, look at how much money they spend on Christmas shopping. Look at how much money people are spending on Black Friday sales or Cyber Monday. Look at how people are banging down doors and knocking each other over to get the widescreen monitors. It's easy to point fingers and say, those people are consumerists. But Allah Ta'ala warns us that that could be our reality too. So as they say, whenever you point a finger at someone, recognize that as you point that finger, there's three other fingers pointing right back at you. And what's important is for us to assess ourselves and see, are we consumerists? Are we engrossed in the world? Are we overly attached to the world? So someone may ask, that's a possibility, but how would we know? How do I know if I am getting attached to this lower world? And for us as Muslims, we have certain telltale signs, certain symptoms that point to that disease increasing within us. Among the many symptoms and signs of being attached to the lower world is that you don't plan your time around your salat. Making salat is easy, but you're too busy at work and school doing this and that. And when you do pray, it's rushed. And it feels like a block of time that keeps you from doing what you really want to do. And that's if you're praying. That's a symptom that a person is being overly engrossed in the world. Another sign is that you care too much about what people say about you. Or you argue 
unnecessarily when people are telling you that something you're doing is haram, unlawful. Because you're so attached to it, you don't want to give it up. Another sign of being engrossed in the dunya is that you become impatient when you can't get that new gadget, that new item, that new article of clothing. You have to get it. It distracts you. It's on your mind 24-7 until you get it. You feel like, if I get this one thing, just one more thing, I will feel fulfilled. And you know what happens. It's the vicious cycle. You feel the endorphins releasing, the dopamine releasing as you get that item. You're excited about it for a week or two weeks, and then it's back on the shelf. You look at it once or twice a week, and then it becomes one of the things that you bought while you're looking for the new thing that gives you that sense of fulfillment. That's a sign of attachment to dunya. Another sign is that you feel uncomfortable when you're reminded about the hereafter. When you're reminded about death, you get uncomfortable and unsettled because you prefer to think about the immediate things in the world. There's an internal tension, a cognitive dissonance. You know that's the reality of this life, but you don't want to be reminded about it. That's a sign that a person is being overly attached to the world. Another sign is that you don't care too much about where your money comes from and whether it's halal or not, because the objective is to get more and more and more, irregardless of the source. <clears throat> These are just some of the signs and symptoms, dear brothers and sisters. A person who is in love with the dunya is going to be distracted by the dunya, even if they are engaged in worship. If they are distracted by the dunya, it will be in their hearts and minds, even in the middle of prayer. But a person who is not attached to the dunya will not be distracted by the dunya, even if they're in the middle of the hustle and bustle of the workaday world in their 9 to 5. They can be right in the middle of the marketplace, buying and selling, but their heart's not attached to the world, so even in that environment, it's not as distracting, because the heart's not attached to it. The dunya's in their hand, not in their heart. And so we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to enable us to not just point fingers out there, but to point fingers inward and assess ourselves. And to be reminded of the realities of this lower world. That it is not the permanent abode. This is not all there is. We're all going to pass away sooner or later. And we cannot allow ourselves to be distracted from that ultimate purpose of seeking the pleasure of Allah and meeting Him on the last day. May Allah revive that purpose within us and allow us to take the counsels and advice and reminders that Allah mentions in His Qur'an. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa afqabu salati wa atammu taslimi ala Sayyidina Muhammadin al-Sadiq al-Ameen. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man istanna bi sunnatihi ila yawmiddin wa ba'd. Dear brothers and sisters, Jabir ibn Abdullah anhu, the great companion, related that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam once passed by a dead goat. This dead goat was mutilated. The ears were cut off and it was bloated. And he goes to this dead goat and he says, Who would like to have this for a dirham? A silver coin. Who would like to have this for a dirham? 
and the companions, they said, O Messenger of Allah, we wouldn't want to have it for free, much less pay a dirham for it. Who would even pay for that? And then the Prophet ﷺ says, By Allah, this world is more contemptible, ahqaru, Allah, more contemptible in the sight of Allah than this dead goat is in yours. Such is the reality of this lower world. As Muslims, we are to be in the world. We are not to be of the world. We are to work in the world and not work for the world. We are not to be abna'ud dunya, children of the world. We are to be abna'ul akhira, children of the hereafter. So instead of us self-righteously pointing fingers at others for their consumerism around this time of the year, we should acknowledge that we as an ummah are just as afflicted with hubbud dunya as others. In fact, it's even worse for us because we should know better. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned this as the reigning disease that would afflict us in the akhirul zaman, the end of time. When he says in the hadith of Thawban radiallahu anhu, the lengthy hadith, where he talked about the state of the Muslims in the end of time and the weakness that will befall us, he said that our hearts would be filled with hubbud dunya wa karahiyatul maut, love of the lower world and a distaste and dislike for death. Meaning we don't want to meet Allah, we're clinging to the world. Bal tu'thirun al-hayat dunya Rather you prefer the life of this world with the attitude bidisan al-hal with the state, as if a person is saying, this is all there is. Now understand, the lower world is not going to give up on you. You have to give up on it. But you don't give up on the world by tossing it away, where you toss aside your property and you get rid of everything you own and become a pauper and going around begging people. That's not how you toss aside the dunya. You toss aside the dunya by removing it from your heart while it stays in your hand. Now I cannot stand before you today on this blessed day of Al-Jumu'ah and claim to you that I have mastered the art of non-attachment to dunya. But our ulama, they inform us that we work to develop this by reminding each other. فَأُوصِي nafsi وَإِيَّاكُمْ I advise myself and all of you. So, there's ways we can develop that non-attachment. There's many ways. But I want to focus just on two at the end of this khutbah. We focus on developing that non-attachment by developing two key relationships. Number one, developing our relationship with our Creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It takes just one moment of sincerely turning to Allah. It takes just one good salat, one good powerful dua, one moment of real dhikr, of remembrance of Allah Ta'ala to bring us back into deen and pull us out of the hypnotic trance of being distracted by dunya. Relationship number two is by being with non-dunyawi people. 
people who are not overly attached to the life of this world. To seek out the company of people whose words and actions and states inspire us to be better and remind us of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. People whose conversations revolve around Allah ta'ala and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the akhirah, the hereafter, where there's very little talk, if any, about the lower world. This is why our ulama tell us that if you spend time around the children of the world, the abna'ud dunya, then you will be a speck in their eyes. Because what are you except a possible node to benefit them in the world? But if you spend around people who are abna'ul akhirah, if you spend your time around people who remind you of the hereafter, then the dunya will be small in your eyes. It will be like a speck in your eyes, something seen as very insignificant. This is the reality. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this season of consumerism that He takes the craving and over-attachment of the dunya from our hearts and that He puts, us, puts it in our hands. We ask Allah ta'ala for real non-attachment to the dunya and attachment to Him and what is pleasing to Him. O oh Allah, we ask You for qana'a, for contentment and rida for contentment and satisfaction and well-being. And we seek refuge in you, O Allah, from everything that distracts us from our ultimate purpose on this earth. Everything that pulls us away. O Allah, we ask you to enliven our hearts so that we put good intentions and gratitude into the material goods of dunya that you provide us. And to not let the dunya become akbaru hammina, our biggest concern, our main preoccupation. Or the extent of our knowledge. We ask for well being. وأكرم من أظلم عليه الليل وأشرق عليه النهار سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين